0: everybody. Welcome to IntelliCast. This is Season 4, Episode something? 15, I think? 15. Yeah, you just told me, and I already forgot. Episode 15, thank you for listening. It is brought to you by EMI Research Solutions. You can email us at IntelliCast at EMI-RS.com. Follow us on Twitter, EMI underscore research, IntelliCast1 on Twitter, and you can leave us a voicemail or text us at 513-401-5463. Today, we're joined by two of my favorite people, Dan Fletcher, who is the executive director of operations at SampleChain. He also spent a number of years at Lucid, uh, been in research for a while, and I mean, SampleChain does great things. But they have a new name now we can announce, right? That's right, Research Defender. Research Defender. So no longer SampleChain. Um, they're now called Research Defender, spelled normal. I mean, imagine that, resource defenders, uh, spelled normal. So happy for all the people at chain. They've been great partners with us for a while, Uh, Dan and Vignesh and their whole team. Also joining us is Chuck Miller, who's been a friend of the MI and um, podcast for a long time. He's the president of DM2, which stands for Digital Marketing and Measurement. He's been in the industry for quite a while was at DMS. If you don't know DMS, that was like the AOL sampling solution that was around in the early 2000s. Um was also at USAMP um, and been out on his zone in Dallas as a consultant for quite a while. But um, Chuck's a good guy, super smart. And I love this discussion because it's Dan, from kind of the technical standpoint of data quality and fraud, what the industry and what they're doing in terms of uh, fraud and then Chuck and I talking a lot about how there's other things we can do and from more of an insights perspective in terms of data quality. I think it's probably cool. What do you think, Brian? Yeah.
1: This is, it's a well-rounded discussion on data quality.
0: Yep. Good way to put it. And then one more thing before we get to the interview, I wanted to mention a press release that came out. You probably saw it on our social or check it out if you like. But um, a press release around um, – 4 Cincinnati-based marketing research and insights firms, we partnered on this new internship program, and it's called MAP, which stands for Minority Access Partnership Program, and it's Burke Incorporated. You may have heard of them, Directions Research, and Market Vision, three very large, prominent, uh, full-service marketing research and insights firms, and then us so the 4 cincinnati based companies really putting this together, and Brian, you've been in heavily involved in this as well as SFI. It's been it's been rewarding, and we're just really getting started,
1: right? It has, yeah. I mean, I probably have a meeting once a week with the, this cross team uh, from all four, all the other three organizations. Yeah. Um, it's been great getting one to just getting to know some of like my counterparts, but two working on this program. I think it's great.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting to see how four companies can um, work together, and the other three are really kind of competitors. And so putting that aside for the betterment of the industry in terms of getting more diverse talent into marketing research, <clears throat> I'm just so impressed with seeing how these people work and getting insight into, I mean, four. I mean, these are great companies. Burke, Market Vision, and Directions Research are just amazing companies. It's just it's awesome from a personal and professional level to be working with them. Um, And then, you know, working on such an amazing initiative, and we're going to establish partnerships with kind of different universities than we normally recruit from, possibly junior colleges, um, trade schools, and historically black colleges in the area to really provide different opportunities. It'll be internships. It'll be hiring full-time people. We're hoping to expand this and maybe mentor at the high school level. But, man, I'm really excited for
1: it. Yeah, I am as well. Um, would you say this is probably one of the first one, at least one of the first ones I've seen where like four companies in the area that, as you've mentioned, some are competitors kind of get together to do something like this. It has to be um, maybe it's been done before and
0: I'm, I apologize if I'm not aware of it, but here in Cincinnati, obviously a hotbed for research, these companies working together. And by the way, this isn't the first time We've all worked together. It's probably the biggest initiative that we've worked on. But, you know, in the Cincinnati community, market research is huge. And we all know each other and aware of each other. And um, it was obviously incestuous um, in terms of hiring and, and stuff. But, I mean, we're having C-level people are on this committee. It's not just, you know, an HR person. It's C-level um, owners of the company that are on this committee. It's, it's really amazing. Yeah. So um, check it out on our website if you'd like to learn more about the program. Um, More to come this summer as we start um, taking action. And that's one of the most important things. We're not just going to be talking about it. We're going to be actually doing stuff about it. So more to come. But I hope you really enjoy this interview. Back to the interview with uh, Dan and Chuck around data quality, which is such an important topic. And um, here you go. Joining us now, we have uh, Dan Fletcher and Chuck Miller. Hey, guys. Thanks for joining.
2: Hey, thanks for having us.
0: Yeah, oh, um, Dan, Dan's the executive director of operations at Sample Chain. and Chuck, and his job title is officially a president at DM2, which is Digital Marketing Measurement, it's his own company, but he's a former president of USAMP, president at AOL DMS, so he's been around a little while, and um, very consulting. Spent some time on the supplier side before AOL, so, yeah, yeah.
2: kind of seen so, it all.
0: Super excited to have these two guys on as we kind of continue our conversation around data quality. And, um, you know, Dan being working in operations at sample chain um, and Chuck being around just in the industry for so long. I think that's a great episode. We're going to talk about kind of trends and we'll talk a little bit about an article that Bonnie Breslauer, Breslauer of Disco put on Green Book a couple weeks ago. But maybe just we'll start off with kind of like some bigger trends that we're seeing kind of in the industry. Dan, I'll start off with you. Like, what's going on in the industry from your perspective?
3: Yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks, guys, for having us. Uh, super excited to be here. Yeah. Happy to talk a little bit about what we've seen on our end. You know, I mean, I think we've, it's sort of equal parts um, what we're hearing from, from the customer side of things, and then also what we're seeing in our data. Um, you know, we talked a little bit back in December about the, um, you know, the, the Q4 election cycle and the impact that had on, on the industry huge spikes in uh in the demand for surveys especially around the election and uh a perhaps outpacing supply in some in some elements um you know we we definitely saw an uptick in fraud as a result of that you know we saw um a lot of the the exchanges and 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 platforms that we worked with having to to really increase their cpis to to get that sample and that led to a lot of fraud and so i think we talked about that a lot back in q4 but um, we've seen a good return to normalcy from our side of things. Um, you know, we had a huge spike uh, a couple of weeks ago for the last week of Q1, um, very big spike. You know, that that leveled out last week and the week before, but um, very positive for I think macro trends in the in the industry. Um, you know, from a from a sort of global standpoint, I think when we see macro events like COVID, we tend to see more fraud. Um, you know, it's oh, it, it makes. Yeah, it, it, it makes sense. I mean, there's, you know, a dip in the economy due to, to COVID leads to, you know, more people unemployed. I mean, think about it, all the people at our home, it's essentially everybody, lots of time on their hands, um, low opportunity cost of that time. Uh, it's, you know, it's, we always think about things as opportunity cost. Uh, what's the, um, you know, in terms of our, our MO and how we try to block sample, but um, it's definitely worth it for a lot of time to, for, for these fraudsters to spend. Uh, at home, and um, you know, trying to uh, to break into these surveys. So, so we're busy.
0: Yeah, I bet. And Chuck, I bet that all the things he's talking about that puts some challenges on your from your perspective, right? When when there's a quality concerns, there's a spike that makes it tough from on on you, right? Yeah, absolutely. So,
2: you know, I'm advising a number of companies on data quality. Um, So for me, fraud, data quality elements kind of all blend together at the end of the day from an insights perspective. Right. So um, there definitely have been challenges last year and we saw that escalate throughout the year. And, you know, in general, uh, we've always talked about fraud and data quality and stuff as as kind of an escalating arms race, right? I mean, it's something that we've been working for 20 plus years at this (laughs) point in online research to try and uh, to tamp down. And it it seems like as soon as we come up with something, um, you know, to combat uh, an element, there's always uh, something else popping up uh, to address. But, um, yeah, so from kind of an insights perspective, I think, you know, some of the stuff that I've seen this past year, are um, you know fraud manifests uh, you know typically as brand overstatement both from kind of a an attitude and usage standpoint that can be kind of a key indicator um, people see changes in data you begin to dig and sure enough um, you know a lot of fraud uh, you know comes across as people overstating. Um, in an attempt to to qualify and and provide happy data and provide the data that they think people want to hear, so um, yeah, you know that's kind of some of the stuff that we see. You know, I think that in terms of other trends, I've seen more people, I think, paying attention to um, really looking at kind of different sources and examining kind of inherent characteristics. It used to be that we would kind of lump together different types. Um, of sample, river sample, panel sample, all of that. Um, I think that people have uh, gotten wise to, you really can't look at it necessarily by type anymore. You really need to dig down to the provider level, um, look at the characteristics that you're getting there. Um, So I've seen, you know, greater emphasis on that. That was something that I had, you know, always kind of preached uh, when I was at AOL. It was something that, you know, we developed one of the first river samples and we would draw people from across um, AOL properties, Time Warner properties, and I always worried about what are the underlying characteristics now that I'm sourcing from sportsillustrated.com or cnn.com and demos yeah. um, held constant don't necessarily mean you're going to get the same data um, right. on source. So I think people are a bit more wise to that, um, which is fantastic. And then maybe, you know, one more might be, you um, More time spent looking at device type, Um, people beginning to realize that, you know, mobile is such a high percentage of surveys that you really need to think about mobile respondents uh, differently than desktops. And, you know, it all comes together to form the whole. Um, It's not necessarily, um, you know, uh, one or the other, and you need to design for both and and those kinds of things, um, you know, help data quality, but also kind of help on the fraud front, too. Um, yep. making sure that you've got, you know, good responding experience and all of that at the end of the day is going to um, get you to the, the right data at the end. So um, just some of the trends I've been seeing.
0: Well, I have so many follow-ups just from both of you guys from the first question. So maybe I'll, I'll go back to you, Dan. You mentioned that like we saw a surge in fraud last week we saw, you know, at the end of last year as well. What does it kind of look like from your perspective? Like, how do you recognize it? Um, what are the things that you're kind of the identifiers maybe like oh we have something going on here. What does it kind of look like?
3: Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I mean we've you know, I think all of us in particular because we're all working with third-party data uh, you, you know in in its, in its purest sense, um, we're just trying to look for outliers uh, in the in the data you know we've we've layered a lot of machine learning models to do, regression analysis and decision trees and um, <clears throat> a number of those methods To So we're really just looking at, you know, all the different variables that we have for respondents. Um, you know, it, it goes as high as IP addresses and down all the way to metadata within a, you know, a user agent and just looking for anomalies, things that look uh, very out of the, out of the ordinary um, subnets are, are a, a pretty high uh, correlative um, uh, variable on there too, you know, what that would mean is, you know, IP addresses that are just slightly off, um, as those are probably people that aren't on VPNs or proxies, but are just really, you know, um, changing their IP addresses within their home network. So it's a lot of little things and we're just trying to look for outliers. Um, The subnets one is a big one we've seen blow up, we're seeing a lot of of within the same survey, uh, you know, these slight variants, variations in IP addresses. Um, But also, I mean, you know, our models give us a lot of that information too. And just saying. Okay, you know, this survey was seeing, um, you know, two respondents a minute and now it's seeing uh, 200 respondents a minute and they all look kind of similar. So throw up the red flag and um, we, you know, we're blocking a lot of this traffic, but also we need to let our our supply chain know that that's happening so they can action off of it. Um, So, yeah, at its purest sense, it's just anomalies and what we'd expect.
0: That makes sense. Um, And Chuck, you mentioned a good point that I always recommend as well about device usage and looking at device type. And one one thing is I feel like we have more information on especially mobile devices than we used to. That's yep. helpful for me, but like, what are you looking for when you're, are you sorting the data by device or sorting potential fraud by device or is it just one other thing that you're looking at in addition to like, you know, open-ends and other fraud checks?
2: Yeah, um, a lot of times it's, you know, quickly looking at it by device type. Um, You know, especially things like open ends, Um, you know, it's something that we know that, um, you know, typically you're going to have a a little, little shorter open end. Um, But, uh, you know, really looking at um, patterns and, you know, it kind of goes back to the survey design, too, and making sure that you think the survey design was appropriate um, because you're, you know, potentially going to have more overstatement um, with uh, a clickable mouse um, on multi-list response type questions than you might on a mobile device, things like that. Just looking for um, some patterns in the data and just just being conscious of uh, of survey design. I think that we know that um, uh, your real estate is limited. Um, Attention spans tend to be a little bit more limited, it appears, on mobile devices as well. Um, you know, so, you know, there was a, an old APOR standard that, you know, 18 minutes is the, the, the time that you need to worry about in terms of survey length, because over 18, you're going to start to see decreases in, in data quality and things like that. And I think today it's, it's more like 12 to 15 max, um, and gravitating toward the shorter end, um, when you're working with mobile devices.
0: Yep. And another thing that you mentioned, which I just had a conversation with a client about is brand overstatement, which Man, it gets tough when you're talking about data and, you know, when people are evaluating brands and especially during a weird period of time, such as COVID, when people's kind of attitudes and behaviors are already changing. Right. We're all over the place. So it's less predictable or understandable maybe than in a normal environment. And then on top of that, you have the influence of possible fraud and possible poor quality that that has, I know that for me, that's really tough to kind of manage when you're talking to clients, I bet it does for you as well.
2: It, it has. Yeah. I've been called in to help analyze a number of situations this year where tracker data has changed. Um, and you just have to, you know, go through the motions of looking at it by device type, looking at it by source provider, um, you know, all these different things to kind of tease out where you think the change came from. Uh, and then from there, you can begin to dig, you know, is it, um, is it actually fraud? You know, was was somebody infiltrated um, with uh, either, you know, uh, the cottage industry of the, the, the group of folks coming in to try and get incentives or bots yeah. or something along those lines. But um, it just takes lots of teasing out of the data in many cases.
0: Yeah. Well, I love having you both on because we all have to kind of work together as a team on this, right? Like you have Dan, who's monitoring this almost basically for his living, right? And then you trying to take that data set and ensure it's right for the client. Like these, all of these groups of people, all of us have to kind of work together, right? It's imperative.
2: Absolutely. And, and I really think, you know, as much as anything, it starts at the very beginning too, right? I mean, there's so much that we can do from uh, the sample definition level and the screening level and the survey instrument and all of those things that at the end of the day are um, really going to help us get to the, the the final output and you know along the way embedded in some of that are things that we do to try and prevent fraud things like red herrings um, you know and and, uh, and so forth and just being really mindful um, about how you're you're going about things not trying to be too heavy-handed because you um, when you get too heavy-handed, you actually begin to exclude people that should be represented in yes. the data set, right? So yeah. there's there's a nice balance of art and science there, um, yeah. and, you know, uh, love uh, the work I'm doing with Dan and team right now, because there's um, some great science elements to bring to this, but there's, you know, kind of the the holistic side, too, that, you know, kind of blends it all together, like you said. Yeah,
0: the, the responding experience is something that is it's, it's tough to balance. Like, I hate designing surveys that say, what is your age? And then what is your birth date? And you have to match that. And then you say, what color is the sky? And what is two yeah. plus two? And then you ask them to do a conjoint exercise. It's <laughs> it's, it's really kind of crazy what we put respondents through, right? It is.
2: It is. And things like, um, you know, birth year, birth date, even those, um, we begin to yeah. see differences, right? So there's a pro- percentage of people that just start to get edgy when you ask for the birth date. Um, but they'll give you the birth year. So, you know, you really should only ask for what you need, um, you know, and, and enough to get you through kind of the gates that you want to put in place, um, you know, to provide quality because, you know, you don't want to exclude people that won't provide birth date if in fact, you know, they, um, they really ought to be represented. So.
0: And, and the people that get mad and drop out of a survey because they don't want to answer what noise a bird makes. That's right.
1: <laughs> not good either.
2: Right? <laughs> yeah, and when it comes to the, the red herrings, you know, the one that I, I really like the best is the, the statement of multiple low-incidence items. Yeah. Um, you know, this is stuff we played around with at AOL 20 years ago. You know, what yeah. kinds of questions do you put in as gates? And, you know, we found the things like, you know... To ensure that you're paying attention, please check the box or check the button on the left or at the far right. Um, people that don't take surveys, they don't understand what you're doing here. Wait a minute. I'm cloning through. I'm in the mindset right. of answering these questions. And what is this that you just put in front of me? You know? Right. Um, so things like, you know, which of these have you done in, you know, uh, you know, the last three months applied for pet insurance, applied, you know, just yeah. random yeah. things that, you know, you know that if you state um three things that are you know less than five percent incidents um you got a good chance that this is somebody that's just trying to to qualify and gain the
0: system right and then i'm gonna go back to you to see you mentioned there was a little bit of a surge last week um is there anything else that maybe happened in q1 or any kind of noteworthy types of fraud that you that you're seeing now that might be just kind of unique or different
3: yeah. Um, <laughs> good question. So, I mean, we've seen, I think I mentioned subnets before. That's something we've been focused on we have a few, a few releases that we've that have gone out this past week and, and, and will in future weeks as far as to, to, uh, to stop and at least start tracking that more, um, you know, so that we can sort of correlate it to removals down the line and see, you know, it, it, is this, is this a highly correlative or, or mostly or what, you know, I mean, there's, there's always edge cases with, with issues like that too. You know, if somebody's running a small zips or a uh, study with a just number of zips, I mean, there's probably going to be some IP overlap in there anyway. So, right. you know, we're, 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 it's, it's one of those ones, just like anything in, in this, in this world where we're actually controlling traffic, it's got to be very, very careful uh, with, with, uh, with any, any levers you pull. I mean, I, you know, to the best of our knowledge, we're seeing the increased traffic, uh, that's linked to fraud coming from. Um, we've we've seen an uptick from uh, the Venezuela uh, area as well as um, as well as as well as India. Uh, so those are two two areas we've seen. You know, I mean we'll see we'll see um, <clears throat> some of the things that we've seen come through our end is uh, a lot of respondents who are um, who are. Uh, s- they'll they'll have an open end where the the message the re- the message will be in in English, but it clearly is written by somebody where um, English is their second language, which in itself is not you know uh, a problem but but when you wow. get 30, 40 answers in a row like that that all kind of have the similar patterns, things look a little weird. so right. um yeah. So, I mean, that's where we use, uh, we, we've been updating our um, natural language processing uh, tools, our, um, our text analytics tool we have called Review to um, to focus a little bit closer on grammar to be able to catch those types of things and flag them. Um, yeah. Yeah, those are, those are the big things coming out of Q1, I would say.
0: Well, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of Venezuela. That makes sense, right? With what's going on in Venezuela, it would make sense that, you'd have an increase of fraud from that country. Um, you mentioned you mentioned IP a lot, which kind of gets me to the next topic around browsers. And this is something that I always defer to Brian Peterson when I talk about cookies and what's going on with browsers. And because I don't really understand this world. And even though we've talked about it on the podcast I don't know how many times, probably four or five times now, I still don't get it. But I bet that there's an impact from your perspective, Dan, around with what's going on in the industry with cookies and browser advancement and what Google's doing. So I don't know if you want to talk about that, but I'd love to hear your perspective on it.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I, I caught up, I think on the last episode, I, I thought Brian did a great job explaining it. So if you, if, if anybody wants a refresher, they can, they could probably go back and and uh, and go through that. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's a great question. It's, you know, cookie list as the, is the, the, the definite buzzword and the talk of our, you know, our, our world in terms of um, things that we're, we're focused on. And, you know, to be honest, I think it actually impacts uh, you know, people on the marketing and advertising side way more than it does us uh, in a lot of ways. You know, we, we built um, our technology around being able to, to survive in a cookie less world. Um, you know, it's, it we, we certainly use it when it's there and we have used it. It's, it's a data point. It would be silly not to. Right. But um but, you know, with the move to um, the sort of opting out of, of first party cookies or, or sorry, of third party cookies, um, you know, it just gives us one less variable to be able to use to, to make a decision and to identify the same respondent. But um, we've kind of put our focus on away from that in the past anyway, uh, you know, so it, it shouldn't have a huge impact, you know. Um, slightly slightly lower rates of um of conversion on on digital fingerprinting and 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 things along those lines but you know like anything we'll adjust uh, over time you know i think it'll be a slow uh rollout on all this and there's still you know a number of uh a good percentage of our traffic where we still see um you know the the browsers the cookies from the browsers so um we're yeah just trying to stay on top of it
0: cool and that kind of leads me into the next topic um, where Bonnie Breslauer, she put a article, she works at Disco and she's been in the industry for a long time, everybody knows Bonnie. And Mm -hmm. she wrote an article entitled Market Research Fraud on the Rise, Let's Conquer Together. I love the kind of overall theme of it, which is really collaboration, which is why all we're here today is collaborating to help talk about this challenge and help maybe others um, and work together as an industry to conquer. Because I've said before, I really think the insights whatever you want to call our industry, ResTech insights, survey research is, is not working at full capacity. I think we can double or triple in size. Um, if we can provide more confidence in decision makers, the data is real. I think there's a lot of skepticism and some of it's certainly warranted, but some of it maybe isn't, but the theme of our article talks about knowing the enemy, we've, which we've talked about a little bit, protecting the experience of good panelists. And we've talked about that as well. Um, and she talked a little bit about innovating new defenses, AI, machine learning, biometrics. Um, that's one that's a little bit a little bit foreign to me. I know there's a lot of innovation out there, and that's why your company exists is all of the things that you're doing. Is there anything else in the article or kind of just a general theme that you know wanted to address or talk about?
3: I'd
0: yeah. say machine go ahead, Dan. You go first.
3: Thanks, Chuck. Yeah, uh, I I did read that article. I thought it was great. I worked closely with Bonnie early in my career, uh, and and love everything she has to say here. I thought that the over the, you know at the at the high level, just the general we should be working together more on this is 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 right on. I mean, you know you think about um, the hits that the political polling uh, industry has taken from 2016 and 2020 with you know whether you want to whether whether or not you want to argue those those were misses, uh, there's a perception that it was a miss, and that causes the data to be questioned. And you know, I think that's bad for that industry. And I think we should sort of think that way too, um, and be working together. You know, we're all going to try to get a leg up and have a better technology and and market ourselves that way. But um, but the basics here, we're all working with the same we're all working with the same variables and trying to uh, put you know extrapolate those in a manner where we can try to weed out fraudsters. And, uh, and we should be sharing that information. So, you know, overall, I just really like the theme of it. Um, Yeah.
2: Yeah, Yeah, no, I agree. Bonnie's great. Um, She and I go back a long ways. We actually worked in the same department of about 25 people uh, at Mark research many years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So we we've known each other for quite some time.
0: I'll get Um, stories off, off the air.
2: Exactly. (laughs) But um, no, I, I absolutely loved the the tone of it as well. I think it's, you know, exactly what we all need to be doing. What I was going to say on the machine learning front is um, I'm really excited about um, kind of the um, NLP and text analytics that we can do with um, looking for fraud in open ends and B2B studies and things like that, where we're asking people to explain their job, um, you know, or give some uh, kind of relevant information that only a qualified, um, you know, professional should be able to give and being able to kind of look at that stuff in a little more detail to weed out the fraud and B2B since that, um, tends to attract people, um, and fraudsters a little bit more given high incentives and things like that. So, um, no, great article, great tone and, you know, exactly where we need to be uh, working together.
0: Awesome. Um, Anything else we'd like to talk about in terms of fraud, survey quality, respondent experience? Did I miss anything? No, I think the only
2: thing I would say, you know, is kind of just restating what I said earlier is it's, it's everything along the chain, right? So, um, yeah. you know, don't depend on solely on technology um, to solve your problems. You got to take some ownership and responsibility, you know, for your survey research yourself and uh, think about, you know, the sampling, think about the the screening, the survey instruments. Um, who you're engaging, the devices you're engaging uh, them on. And, uh, you know, it is, a, it is a bit of art and science that needs to kind of come together, um, you know, as we're, we're doing this together.
0: Yeah, I love that message, Chuck, that it's, it's amazing how often I see a data file that has a really poorly written screener. And a, a really strong screener is so important to ensure that it's not easy for anyone to just get through, that you're talking to the right people, um, and then the questionnaire design, I think it's, those are skills that unfortunately we, there used to be a lot of rigor around questionnaire design. That there was, follow. and
2: I, yeah, I mean, I hate to sound like the old guy in the room, but, <laughs> you know, it, it does seem like, you know, not as much attention is paid in many cases uh, to those sorts of things. And it can just, you know, have uh, such a huge impact on what you get at the end of the day in terms of the, the final data set and the insights that come from it.
0: Yeah, I, I always think back to my days, I was a telephone interviewer, and this is this is a long time ago, ninety, the late 90s, and I remember that, and this still happens today, that a group of telephone interviewers would get into a room, and there'd be a briefing where they would go through the entire questionnaire, and let me tell you, these telephone interviewers are detail-oriented. They would question every little word on that questionnaire, yeah. right? And that would help the questionnaire design, because they understood how a respondent um, hears the question. They hear the question or read the question in the case of online, different than how we as researchers think. And so that was such an important step in the process. And I hope that for some reason we've been doing, I mean, we're well into 20 plus years and doing online research. And I don't know, we've never, generally, I'm speaking very general, we've never really kind of taken that cue, that quality check.
2: No, you're right. You're absolutely right. I mean, I remember, um, you know, I was doing research on phone and mall and, uh, and paper before there was online. (laughs) So I I totally get what you're saying and and know that that is a a huge part of the, um, questionnaire design process that we would get feedback from the Watts center saying, Hey, you know, we've got, you know, people think we might want to do this this way. So, um, you know, maybe in those cases, um, the replacement is that, you you know, you run it by a colleague, right? You know, I know we're all busy and everything, but right. don't, don't be afraid to, you know, either ask a colleague or ask, you know, a sample provider or somebody you're working with, um, get another opinion on, you know, Hey, is there a better way to do this? Or is this the right approach or, um, you know, where the implications of certain things?
0: Yeah, and the point of this is that Dan and his team, they can do a lot to prevent fraud and to help with data quality. But the researchers have a huge role in this, and working collectively. So, um, Dan, I don't know if there's anything to add on your end in terms of what you guys are doing to to help the researchers,
3: yeah, I mean, you know, I'll say like I do. I do spend. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think partnerships is is a word that I've you know tried to to it's something I've tried to develop with all, all the customers that I work with and, um, over the years. And I think it's, it's so key in this element too. I mean, you yeah, you mentioned survey design, um, you know, a lot of if we get an escalation of hey this this doesn't seem right for XYZ you know um, the first thing I'll try to do is is get a copy of the of the screener and the the survey itself and try to understand what the you know objectives of the survey was um, you know it, it might be listen it might be a bot uh, that that got into your your survey and it might be that easy but it might just be that the the way it was written or the logic or something didn't make sense and that's you know and it, it's all data points that we can we can look at and um, you know I mean one of the reasons I love this job is it's just a giant puzzle, right? It's um, you've got, you know, it's a little bit more, it's a little, it's, it's pretty abstract from the, from the survey standpoint. And then we just have, an insane amount of data on that, that we can, that we can layer on top of that and um, try to tell the story. So now, and, and I say partnership and that it's, I, you know, I think it's understanding what the objectives were. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy to offer my, uh, my expertise uh, for, for what it's worth on the the research side of things. Although I tend to leave that to the experts, but um, you know, uh-huh. if you can come back, come back and understand that, uh, I think we're all better for it. You know, we, yeah. We, we, we update our model quite often with um, insights we find about you know, especially on like the, the text analytics side of things you know um, we're, we're, we're literally it's it's natural language processing we're, we're getting a sentence and trying to make sense of it with without generally without even the context of the question itself. So um, you know I love learning about what the objective was so that we can train our model to, to actually understand whether it's the right or wrong answer uh, as far as what was being asked. So yeah. it's a lot of fun.
2: Yep. Yeah. And on the, um, the puzzle solving and insane amount of data front, I love uh, the extra data that I've been able to work with um, when sample chains engaged in studies, because um, it does on top of, you know, all the survey data and the behavior that you can trace there, give you a lot of context uh, for what else is going on behind the scenes and um, yeah what the data represents. So, um, it's, you know, part of solving the puzzle and, uh, that's, that's kind of a a neat new front uh, to be working in.
0: Well, I really appreciate you guys coming on and having this kind of discussion around quality. How can people, if people want to reach out to you, Chuck, how how can they reach you? Um,
2: email is great. Um, Chuck at DM two, um, which stands for Digital digital Marketing Measurement, as you said. Chuck at dm2corp.com. Okay.
0: And Dan, um, how can people reach you? And if you want to like tease any maybe press release that might have happened already, <laughs> feel free to do that as well.
3: What a coincidence you brought that up. That's... <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. You can uh, you can reach out to me at dfletcher at samplechain.co. Uh, For now, until next week, at which point we will be Fletcher at researchdefender.com. We are um, announcing our rebrand on uh, Monday, the 19th, which will, uh, by the time this launches have already happened. So uh, you you heard it here first, uh, if your if your name is Brian, um, and if not, you have probably heard it with the rest of the industry uh, two days ago. I think uh, after this this launch. So yeah, we're we're super excited about that um, that announcement. I think it brings a little clarity in terms of what we're what we're um, what our objective and our mission is in the marketplace. And
0: uh, I'll save my making fun of your name till the next episode, but it's it's, <laughs> it's too perfect. It explains exactly what you do, and it's spelled correctly. So. Congratulations to you and your team. It's a, it's a big uh, rebranding. I love it.
3: Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that.
0: And thanks for all having us right. on. This was great. Yeah. yeah. Th- thanks, everybody, for listening. And if please reach out to Dan or Chuck if you have any additional questions. They're certainly experts on this topic um, and two of the best. So thanks for listening. Well, cool. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I hope you all enjoyed this episode. I really did. Um, you know, the main thing that I learned is that, well, I didn't learn, but what I loved we talked about was how, you know, we depend on companies like Sample Chain and Research Defender and others to provide um, good quality sample. But it's not only them, right? That's one piece of the puzzle. You have to work with people like Chuck, work, work with people like us. You have to have a good questionnaire. And so, um, you know, it's a big team effort.
1: Yeah, I, this was a great interview. I feel smarter. I didn't really talk much during this interview, but I felt smarter when we were done with it.
0: You've talked a lot in recent episodes. You needed a little break, I think.
1: I I think I did, yeah
0: (laughs) Um, Well thanks for listening More episodes coming your way soon If you have any suggestions on topics Guests, please let us know Thanks everybody